We've uh, normally, or at least a couple of years, anyway, we just kept going with whatever we were teaching and haven't actually stopped to do a Christmas-related uh, lesson, probably because, um, you know, uh, you know, Jesus wasn't, you know, we wasn't born December 25th. All right, the kids are out of here. We're safe. <laughs> there, I mean, I guess there's, there is a slim 101 and 365 chance that somehow that happened, but it all seems to be like a spring thing. Um, but anyway, um, you know, that's, and we're not told to celebrate Christmas just throw that in there. I'll just be a little Grinch on that also. I mean, I don't see anything in the Bible also that, you know, that says we're supposed to celebrate this, uh, this event, but, but, you know, it does. And yes, and some people don't, and their reasons for not doing it are actually very good. Um, you know, when they talk about the pagan holiday and then all this, and, you know, uh, if you've ever read the Jehovah Witness literature, it's probably one thing they got pretty accurate. <laughs> so yeah, that's, uh, it's interesting. But anyway, I, that all aside, um, there really was the incarnation of, of the Son of God, that Jesus did come to earth. He was born, um, and he did live amongst us. And he, you know, we, uh, we do celebrate uh, Easter. Even again, we don't see that as a specific thing for the church to do, but you just can't contain yourself sometimes. And I guess that's the same idea with Christmas also. So we will be looking at Christmas. We're going to call it Christmas the big picture, though to get the whole idea of it instead of, of narrowing down, which we usually do on, on one specific aspect. So let's pray. Father, again, Lord, we thank you for your goodness and grace. And uh, we thank you, Lord, that, that we have you and that we have one another. Uh, Lord, I thank you for the body of Christ. I thank you that, Lord, we can encourage one another, that we can pray for one another. Uh, Lord, that we can lift each other up, that we can share what you have done in our lives with each other. And, uh, and Lord, even through this week, I, I pray that we lift each other up. Uh, at a time when we can uh, run short on patience uh, because of the things that we've, we've contrived and done. Uh, Lord, that we would realize that, uh, that others, uh, they don't need our judgment, that this, they need our help and they need our prayers. And uh, that we would be that kind of people, Lord, uh, to each other. And in so doing, honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. The incarnation uh, of Christ is actually a, 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 I mean, it's a strange story when you think about it. I mean, just, you know, Try to take your head out of being a believer. And, you know, someone is going to explain this story to you. And like, what? <laughs> but, you know, when you see the big picture, it helps you understand, you know, some of the things about the, you know, the actual event. Uh, but in it are also, especially in the incarnation, are many lessons about God. And since we've been teaching a lot this year on seeing things about God, what is it about God that I see as I open up this passage? You know, we want to look at the incarnation also. You know, what, and this is going to be a question, so listen. You know, what does the birth of Christ, what we see as Christmas, what does it teach us about God? What, if you were going to write a doctrine book and just list the things that the incarnation teaches us about God, give me some answers. God's love, because it was an act of incredible love. I guess that is the number one answer. Um, anybody want to shoot for number two or 22 or 6,002? Miraculous. We see that God is a God of miracles and does things beyond what we think, even dream of. What else about God, Pam? Who did you ramp this one up? 
You know, I remember one of my professors in Bible college saying that, you know, you know, if man would have written the Bible, would he really have written the Bible like it was? <laughs> you know, so we see that, yeah, God is, is a God of miracles. Unlike us, he didn't wait until we got our act together to act. Mm. Yeah, things are a mess. And um, great, great answer. Anything else about God? Humility. He humbled himself. Yes. And took on a form of a servant. Yeah. And we're told to be, you know, humble. Like we shouldn't have to even told, be told that, you know. Uh, great answers. Anything else? I, I put down, I mean, you know, it tells us about God. Obviously, you know, his love, the miracles, his, his plan, his purpose. Um, you know, his, his salvation, his power, and, and his ability to carry out the plan of God regardless of the situation of the day. We get so caught up in, oh, the world, you know, the, the sky is falling, and, and we live in a fallen world, guys. I mean, this is what it is. But, yeah, he didn't wait for it to be a perfect scene. Like, okay, everything, there's, there's peace in the world, so now I can come. No, no, no. He came to bring peace to a fallen world. So, you know, the fact that, you know, we think things have to, and have to be a certain way, you know, politically, whatever it might be. And, you know, he came in a mess. He came at a time where it was like, okay, to like go kill all the kids like under two years old. All right. That was it. You know, yeah. Yeah. I mean, think about it. All right. We're going to tax. Everybody go back to their hometown so we can get a good count. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I mean, you know, can't we just like, is there an app? I mean, we can just like log in or somewhere and boom, you got me. All right, you know, take it up, I'll enter my bank account. You can take it right out, whatever you want to do, you know. Like, so inconvenient, you know, but this is, this is what happened. But there's so much more. So when we look at the big picture of, of, the, of the birth of Christ, think about it as any other, and I'm not saying this in a demeaning way at all, but think about this as, as any other story uh, true or not true story, uh, any book, movie, television show, uh, play, whatever it might be, and, and look at the parts of, of a story and how they unfold. And for you know, everyone who's, who's read a book or watched a television show or seen a play, you, know, you will get this, but it starts with, with a setup, and there's all different terms used for these. These are, are more or less mine. Uh, it starts with some kind of a setup, you know, some either troubling thing or idyllic uh, thing that's going to go south, whatever it might be. But it starts with something, some kind of a setup, and then it builds into a, a crisis. So now, it, you know, and, and a good author, playwright, whatever, will take you right to a certain point, and because if it gets too long, it gets turned off. So, boom, it takes you right there from the setup to the crisis, and then the journey on, on how, it, how it affects and then the, and the good and the bad, the pull and the, pu- you know, the push and the pull through all of it, and then to a, a climax, and then it will end with the, uh, the integration of that, how it affects our lives. And so think about it, the setup, the crisis, the journey, the climax, and then how it actually affects our lives. And that is how, how good stories go. You leave part of it out, you don't have a good book. 
So, you know, it's, and, and authors have played with these and tweaked these, the time spent on each thing uh, to, to make a story uh, work. And this story fits the same idea, or at least I made it fit the same idea by looking back over all the scriptures and seeing how it unfolded. And I, I saw the same, the same pattern that we have here. So, you know, we'll let the, you know, you know, we'll unfold the pages of the story so that we see the story as a story of hope, as a story of purpose, as a story of love, uh, as a story of grace, as a story of deliverance. All the things that were needed were given through this also. And so it meets the needs from the beginning to the end, whereas normally the book doesn't really get to it until, until the end. But here, all through it, through all through the story, we see the lessons that are there. And we also see ourselves because we also, just as we see ourselves when we get immersed into a, a television show, a movie, again, whatever it might be, a book, and we say, well, I would do this or I would do that, you know, like, let's go hide behind the chainsaws, you know, <laughs> um, you know well, there's a perfectly good car. No, what are you, stupid? I mean, you know, go over here. So, you know, we, we said, no, I would do this. Why didn't they do that? Um, and, and we will see ourselves, we do see ourselves. Uh, in the idea of this. So where, where does it begin? Let's turn to Genesis 1. And we will be reading a lot, but it will all be familiar passages that we, we, we speak of today. I didn't want to go into anything that we wouldn't have been familiar with, just so that we can keep the idea of, of the setup. In Genesis 1, we see that God created us. We see a beautiful beginning, and we see an awesome relationship. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God saw the light was good. He separated the light from the darkness. Again, put yourself in this world. God called the light day and the darkness night. There was evening, there was morning the first day. God said, let there be an expanse or a vault between the waters to separate the water from the water. So God made the vault and separated the water under the vault from the water above it. And it was so. God called the vault sky. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. God said, let the water under the sky be gathered into one place and let dry ground appear. It was so. Uh, called the dry ground land and gathered the waters. He called them seas. And God saw that it was good. God said that the land produced vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees, and the land that will bear fruit according to their various kinds. And that was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, trees bearing fruit with seeds in it according to their kinds. God saw that it was good. And then the evening and the morning, the third day, God said, let there be lights in the vault of the sky to separate the day from the night and let them serve as signs to mark sacred times and days and years and let them, let them be lights in the vault of the sky to give light on the earth. And this is so. God made two great lights, the greater light to govern the day, the lesser light to govern the night. He also made the stars. 17, he set the vault in the sky to give light on the earth, to govern the day and the night, to separate light from darkness. He saw it was good. And there was evening and morning, the fourth day. God said that the water team with living creatures, let the birds fly above the earth across the vault of the sky. So God created the creatures of the sea and every living thing um, with which the waters team and that moves about in it according to their kinds. Every winged bird according to its kind. God saw that it was good. God blessed him and said, be fruitful Increase in number, fill the water and the seas, and let the birds increase on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning the fifth day. Let's go down to verse 26. God said, 
Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, the wild animals. And verse 27, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he made them. And God blessed them and said, be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over everything here. God said, verse 29, I give you every seed-bearing plant. Um, verse 31, God saw all that he made. It was very good. And there was evening and morning the sixth day. All right, can we start this, this story any, 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 any more beautifully than it is? I mean, all that is there to see the power, the might, the, the, the imagination of God and what he created. The, and if you study into the whole idea of, of creation, the interdependency of, of the species and how, you know, the, the, this bird needs this seed and that seed needs that bird and all of this that happened. And so the creation was made to support what God saw for us. This is the, is the setup. If we look over in chapter 2, just verses 8 and 9. Now the Lord God had planted a garden uh, in the east, in Eden, and that's where he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye, good for food. In the middle of the garden there was a tree of life, a tree of knowledge of good and evil. All of this that God had given, what a setup it was. And it was. If you ever want to be angry at somebody, go back to Adam and Eve, all right? Don't worry about your neighbor, your sister, your husband, your wife, whatever it might be. Go back to them, all right? But, I mean, this is what, this is what God created for us. Now we know that a problem occurred because we all have coats on. <laughs> we, you know, we live in a fallen world. We have experienced horrible things, and, we, and, and horrors have, have taken this globe for centuries. So we see this. We understand it. So obviously there was a crisis, and that crisis was what? That we sinned, all right? That we broke God's heart. We followed ourselves. We followed the enemy. Uh, we see the idea, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. All of this is what transpired with Adam and Eve. So we see the setup. We see the crisis that occurred. And now we go into the journey. How are we going to struggle and live with all of this now that this has happened? All right? Every path that man would follow or contrive would prove to be a dead end is what we will learn. Because we go through and think about it from the fall and go through the rest of, of, the, of the Pentateuch, go into the, the, the prophets, the historical books, you know, go into the Gospels and see, and, you know, what a mess that, that has, has occurred here. This idea of man trying to find what God is, what God gives in and of himself, and then shows the dead ends, the one after the other after the other. And a good portion of the Bible is given to these struggles, to this journey of mankind looking for life, looking for love, looking for purpose, looking for meaning, and looking for it without God. And we see the struggle that goes on. That is why we can open up to a passage in Isaiah, Jeremiah, whatever it might be, and say, wow, that resonates. Right? Because we're, we understand and we, are, we see that same struggle in our own lives, even though it might be completely different. You know, we may want to do something great with our lives. We want, you know, I, I, want, I want something monumental. Yeah, like the tower they built, right? You know, like, like, you know, you can be moved by God no matter where you're reading the scriptures because you're seeing this journey that occurs. And, and a great example is Genesis 11, the tower that they built. You know, it was our, our you know, VBS lesson, um, you know, and, and all that happened, the idea, and the fact that 
you know, I love the, how the, the lessons in the VBS went on, showing all the different, you know, uh, towers and, and mounds and pillars, you know, that have been built all over the place. And, you know, the idea of building up, they still, forget about the, the, uh, the, the uh, pyramids in Egypt, they can't figure out how these things were built in North America. You know, there's hundreds of these mounds that are built, and like, how did they get all this soil moved to make these great mounds? But, you know, we are always building them in our lives, you know, and we've just finessed them a little bit that we're all not going to be part of putting a bunch of dirt in a pile, but we, we do it in our own life. So we see this. We see the, 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 the journey, and, and we see ourselves in it. So we move from, from Genesis, and that's just, I mean, we, you know, you go into the flood, the Tower of Babel. I mean, we, we see all this. We see the struggles of mankind at the beginning of, of the nation of Israel. Uh, and then, of course, we, we see the deliverance of Israel. I mean, you know, things went downhill for them. I mean, they're all slaves. They're all building those stinking pyramids. This is what they, what they went through. Wait, we're God's people. God, where are you? And God delivers them. We see the plagues that occur. We see the, uh, the, uh, the firstborn. We see then, you know, to Moses to be able to lead these people out. Pharaoh in pursuit. What did I do? You know, the sea opens up. They go across on dry land, and there is the enemy swallowed up and washed down in the drink. And here we are, you know, now delivered. A picture of our salvation, you know, being delivered from the bondage. And like, oh, we are finally, it happened. After all this time, it happened. God has delivered us. And then where does it go? Look in, uh, I'll tell you where it goes. Look in Exodus chapter 15. This is where it goes. It goes to such great and wonderful joy uh, as they are all gathered. Now, for those who are familiar, Exodus 15, uh, called the Song of Praise or the Song of Moses and Miriam. Uh, then uh, Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He's become my salvation. He's my God. I will praise him. My father's God. I will exalt him. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he's hurled to the sea. The best of his officers are drowned in the Red Sea. The deep waters have covered them. They sank like the depths of the stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Lord, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty... You threw down those who opposed you. The enemy boasted, verse 9, but you blew with your breath, and verse 10, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead. Who among, verse 11, who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, and working wonders? I mean, you know, it happened. Here it was. They're delivered. The song of praise. And then before you get to the next, you know, um, the next chapter, look down in verse uh, twenty. Two, then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea and they went to the desert of Shur. For three days they traveled in the desert without finding water. When they came to Marah, they couldn't drink the water because it was bitter. So the people grumbled. Wait a minute. All that just happened. You were just delivered from the greatest army on earth. You were delivered from slavery and in such a way. And then, all right, we're out here three days. We haven't used just a whole lot of water. And, you know, God can do things with water. That, you know, maybe this little test is here, as James says, you know, this little trial is before the wisdom that's going to come and the lesson and what you're going to see of the greatness of God. You know, heaven forbid that we be going through something that God is going to teach us something through, and we want the circumstance perfect instead of we want to grow and to be able to be used by God in the circumstance. So where did they go? 
I just pushed up and tried to scroll on my notes. I'm <laughs> wow. <laughs> uh, unbelievable. Where did they go? Right? In chapter 32, what did they, what did they make while, while their leader was up there on the mountain communing with God? What did they build in, in, in chapter 32? A stairway to go be with him? No, a golden calf. All right, a golden calf, Exodus 32. Um, there we go. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, let us worship God. <laughs> no, come make us gods, small g, who will go up before us. This fellow Moses, he got demoted. He's now a fellow. All right? You know, not this, this leader who God used, this, this humble man. No, this fellow Moses who brought us out, out of Egypt, we don't even know what has happened to him. So he said, take off your gold earrings that your wives, your sons and daughters are wearing. Bring them to me. All the people took off the earrings, brought them to Aaron. He took them, handed them, made an idol cast in the shape of a calf, an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And they said, these are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. Man. This is the story. This is the journey. This is mankind going back and forth with God. Are there any more? Yes. I'm, I'm sure if we, we did a poll here and came up with some more, even just Old Testament stories of man looking outside of God for the answers in his life, we would have many. And I'm sure if we now took a poll of what's happening in our life, trying to seek him without, without trying to seek the things of God, without God, we're going to find the same things. All right. So it brings us to what? It brings us to this climax. All right. All right. But it was it's it's a story and, and, and the climax. Actually, we would have to go back really to to Genesis three to see how how it all happened, where it began to unfold the story of man's failed attempts that would end up with the promise of hope. All right. It was it was it was war, uh, but not without some hints, this whole climax. So it would begin, of course, where we saw, you know, we see the fall of man and we see, you know, what is happening with this now? Where does the climax begin? Well, it'll begin in Genesis 3, but it also goes to passages like Isaiah 53. And, and we see here, um, you know, a little bit of a, of a picture versus uh, 4 and 6 it climaxes with, I should say, not only in Genesis 3, the fall, but the promise of, of a deliverer, where Genesis 3, and we won't go there for time, but, you know, the, the whole idea that, yes, one will, you know, the seed will, of you will come and will hurt the, you know, the heel of your seed, meaning that the injury to Christ, but, the, you know, the, the, the head of the enemy will be given a fatal blow. So we see the limitations then of the enemy. We see, and that's as a continuing saga also, because then he will be bound again for a thousand years and then ultimately cast into the lake of fire. So we see the, the, the defeat that is happening with this climax. So that in there, there was a promise. As soon as there was a sin, there was a promise of a deliverer, of one who would take care of that enemy. So right from the beginning, they were told that, yes, there was an answer to this. And that answer continued to be all throughout the scriptures. Isaiah 53, verse 4. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. Again, written 700 years before Christ. 
Uh, the prophet Isaiah writes, but he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, which we have in Christ, the punishment to get it was on him. The healing that we have, by his wounds we are healed. <coughs> Emphasize two things here, wounds and his. We have the healing because he suffered the wounds. And this is talking about, this is, the, this is the, the climax, that the answer is here, and the answer was all throughout the scriptures. That here we were told, and obviously this is foretelling uh, what, what Christ would go through. And verse 6, the beautiful verse, we all, all we like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is the burden bearer. He is the innocent lamb. So this story, as this unfolds into this climax, is showing us all along. Zechariah 9.9, talking about you know, how it would happen. Um, I'm going to bring that one up, Jeff. Zechariah 9.9. Greatly rejoice, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, as, as uh, Mel said, and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So... You know, all of this is pointing toward the, the answer for this, for this problem. Um, you know, though thou be little, Micah 5 of the, of the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth. You know, he is the one who's going to be ruler over thee. Bethlehem Ephratah, Isaiah 7.14, you know, talking about a virgin conceiving. So we see this whole idea of the answer is all throughout the journey. So in this case, we have a little bit of an overlap of the climax and the journey because interspersed in the journey is the answer. That isn't just like, oh, we failed again. No, God is revealing more and more about himself through all of this. All right, this journey that was, even like the Israelites went through, we're seeing the salvation, the provision, the provider, the guidance. And yet through it all, we still complained. Through it all, we still continue to try our own way. You know, they had these words of Isaiah, Zechariah, Micah, um, you know, the prophets who all told about, uh, you know, I think of Jeremiah with the suffering servant, all of this that would happen. And yet, did they follow this or did they end up in captivity for putting God aside? Yeah, that's where they went. Like, here we are again. You know, we're tied, we're being bound and led away, you know, just like our, our, our forefathers were. You know, all, all captive again. Why are we going through this cycle? Psalm 22, if you could put that one up there. Um, I just couldn't do this without, uh, without looking at, at Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as a holy one. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. Talking about those who did. I am a worm, not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they said. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you've been my God. Do not be far from me, for trouble is near, and there is no one to, hope, to help. 
Many bulls surround me, strong bulls of Bashan encircle me, roaring lions that tear their prey, open their mouths wide. I am poured out like water, and all of my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax, it's melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. We remember this when he's on the cross. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of the earth. Dogs surround me. The villains encircle me. They pierce my hands, my feet. My bones are on display. People staring and gloating over me. They're dividing my clothes, casting lots for my garment. All of these things we know happen. Again, hundreds of years later. But the Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life, from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouth of lions, from the horns of the wild oxen. You know, this is the God that we have. You know, and this is the, the delivering that he is continually doing. Not just a point in time, but it continually happens because this journey is continuing. And the climax continues all the way into Luke chapter 2. So we see Luke chapter 2 as part of the climax of the story, of the solution to the problem. And then, you know, finally, I guess the last part, this application or, or uh, denouement, as it is called in, in, a, in a play, um, you know, the final part in the story, which all the strands of the plot are drawn together and the story is explained, the point where it's all made clear, uh, where the author puts the story into our own lives. And that is being lived today in the lives of each and every one of us. That the conclusion, we might say, or, the, or again, that word denouement, right? This is unfolding. It's all the strings are coming together. And this part of the story, we are a part of. We are living this story. And someday this story will be told of how we lived it. How did we live this? And how did it, it apply into our lives? When we get our instruction Obviously, we have the Spirit of God within us. We have the, the scriptures, the epistles written to the church, and so that we can live out our faith. We can accept Jesus in this age and live in peace because he brought peace. He brought peace to a troubled world. The situation was horrible. As we said, didn't wait till it got cleaned up. He brings peace into our world wherever we are, and he is worthy to be trusted. And just as we see some who followed the ways of God and others who didn't. And we see the continually bashing the head against the wall, trying to, do, you know, to make the same mistake over again to where we think it's going to work. And others who follow the ways of God. And to be able to be part of that, to, to, to live out this faith, to, to experience this, this denouement, all right? this living story still being written because... This begins with Christmas. Yeah, it begins with the birth of Christ, this chapter for us. And, but it goes through, obviously, through his life, through his death, burial, and resurrection, his ascension the, at Pentecost, the giving of the Spirit of God and everyone who believes. So the story is still being written. So when we see it now from beginning to end, make sure that we understand the whole story. That as much as it, that this little part, you know, we make so pretty, this, you know, this family without a place to live um, and, and having to give birth in a, in, a, in a stall. And, you know, we make it and we clean it up very much. It was, still, it was still a rough part. And yet the workings of God still continued. The kings didn't wait until he was in a palace to come. It didn't happen. 
So, you know, this is what we have. And it was bad, and it got worse for the family, we know. I mean, you know, they had to flee again. So, you know, that wasn't there. But what about our lives? Is it without issue? Is it without problem? No. But that never stopped the working of God. You know, if you were God, if I were God, where would we have stopped? Well, a lot of times I'd have just given up on this. You know what I mean? You know, that whole, you know, hey, we're thirsty. Hey, three days. <laughs> All right? You know, I'm like, come on. You know, I have your leader. I'm communing with him about how you are to, to live this life. And, and then like, yeah, this fellow Moses, uh, we've given up on him. You know, let's not give up on the working that God is doing in our lives. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord. Thank you for all that we can see. And Lord, may we see the big picture. Uh, see it from beginning to end. Uh, all the working um, of a great God. And, and Lord, from a, its perfect setting to, Lord, the, the trouble that came because of sin. And, uh, but yet in it, Lord, we still see the beauty of your creation even today, even after all that has happened. And Lord, may we learn from all of these different aspects of the scriptures that we see, realizing, Lord, that they're depicting the journey of man, just like us, with the same struggles, Lord, and the same God, who is great and who has never failed. So Lord, I, I pray that we will bring this to Christmas, and we'll bring, Lord, this kind of joy, because it's not dependent on our